What is this thing that causes the most pain in my life? What causes me to be far from you, Lord? And so sometimes we have to ask those questions. So David comes to this place where he grows up. He grows up and he says, I can't have these women around. And each rejection should, like David, cause us to stop and take a look at our lives. Stop us and say, okay, it's time to take inventory. It's time to take stock. So he sets them aside. So the question is, what do you have to set aside? Well, what is it that you have to set aside today? What is it that you have to get rid of for good, forever? What is causing pain in your life? In today's message from Pastor Mark, he teaches that whenever you experience rejection, it allows space for you to stop and take inventory of your life. There are things that are helpful and needed within your life, and things that are not. For David, in the book of 2 Samuel, he had an unhealthy attraction towards women. David needed to set aside the pursuit of women in his life in order for him to walk closer with the Lord. When you grow spiritually, you will start to recognize the things that are drawing you away from the Lord. Set aside whatever it is that is stunting your growth with the Lord. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in 2 Samuel chapter 20 for today's edition of Come Alive. All right, so 2 Samuel chapter 20, it says, And there happened to be there a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite. And he blew a trumpet and he said, We have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. And now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women as his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and put them in seclusion and supported them, but he did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. And the king said to Amasa, assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present there yourself. Let's stop there. Hopefully we'll make it through the whole chapter, but what's happening here when we go back and we look, it says, and there happened there to be a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjaminite. And he blew a trumpet and he said, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse and every man to his tents, O Israel, So every man of Israel deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. Sheba, as we read last week, we saw that they were fighting. If you remember, they were fighting over who had the most part of David. Remember, well, we're 10 tribes and we should have the most of the king. And then Judah's like, no, he's our relative. Well, you know, we're closer to him. And so there was this kind of argument going on back and forth right after a war that took place where the men of Israel had fought with the guys from Judah, David's people, over some kingdom rights. And so here today we see Sheba. Who's Sheba? Well, this isn't the Sheba that was in the bathtub, Bathsheba, but this is Sheba. And so these two men here, David and Sheba, are both reacting to something. They both have to react to something, and it's something that we all experience in life, no matter how old you are, you will always experience rejection. 
Sheba was with Saul when the kingdom fell. So here, David took over the kingdom, and Sheba, he goes with Absalom, and he sides with him. And he again saw his kingdom come crashing down when, well, when Absalom was killed by Joab, David's men win. And instead of accepting the fact that God had truly wanted David as king, this man Sheba wants and chooses to rebel because Sheba says, well, you know what? I can do it better. I can, I can rule better, and I'm not going to follow David. And so Sheba wants and chooses to rebel. He doesn't roll with rejection like David. So there's a couple of things you can do if you're taking note. If you're rejected, there's a few things you can do. Number one, as David is doing, you can roll with it. You can be rejected and be like, okay, I've been rejected. Or you could be like Sheba, and Sheba here rebels. He rebels against the rejection. He rebels against the authority that was put over him. And so what we, again, see here is two guys dealing with the same problem. Remember, David's being rejected by these men of Israel and Sheba, and Sheba is being rejected as, well, not being able to have a place, a high position in the army. And so he lost position when David took over. And so he's going to make an opportunity for himself. And a lot of times you see that people get rejected and they're like, well, I'm just going to make opportunity for myself. And they go against the grain. They start to rub the cat the wrong way. And I've heard it said that if you just can handle rejection, it's because you really love yourself way too much. Now, I don't think anybody likes rejection. I know personally I don't. But there are some who just can't handle it or they spend a little too much time, well, worrying about it and inquiring when they do get rejected. So when you consider the circumstance we're facing here, if you remember last week, we read and saw that these people are arguing over who would be hanging out with their king. And so now we see what people will do when others are in a weakened position. Sometimes that happens. When somebody's in a weakened position, there are those people that will take advantage. Sheba is one of those guys. He's going to take advantage of David's weakened position after Absalom had failed in the rebellion and the conflict between Judah and the other 10 tribes. He bases his rebellion on three principles common to rebels. So there are these principles that are common to rebels. One is, as David continues to grow, Sheba decides to slow, if you want to say it that way. Basically, what he does, he gets angry. He gets upset. He gets so mad, he chooses to resist what God wants. That's number one. Uh, Number one is when we rebel, we fight against God. We're saying when something happens that we don't like and we begin to throw that temper tantrum that, well, Lord, though you've allowed it, it's not good enough for me. Has God allowed something in your life that you're kicking against, that you're fighting against, that you don't like? And so David continues to grow. He just rolls with it. He's like, okay, cool. Ten guys are going to reject me. I'm good with it. I I don't like it, uh, but what can I do? And so here we see Sheba, he gets angry. He gets upset, and he chooses to resist. And most of the time, they exalt themselves. That's number two. When, When somebody rebels, they wind up exalting themselves and by cutting down the other guy. They go and and they'll find somebody that's willing to listen. They're like, man, that guy, he can't get away with that. I mean, he's such a horrible boss. I can't believe he does these things. And because he's doing these things, well, I'm just, you know what? I'm going to take longer breaks. I'm going to hang out at the... And I used to have a friend that used to always... His his theory at work was when he didn't like a boss, if he was out of sight, he was out of mind. So he'd wind up and he would just hide in the stock room somewhere sometimes and just hang out in there and do nothing. 
and just do nothing. One day he couldn't figure out why he didn't get a promotion. And, and I remember he was so angry at our boss, and he said, well, why, I, I deserve a raise. I deserve a promotion. Why aren't you promoting me? I've been here such a long time. He goes, well, I never see you do anything. And I, I remember kind of just laughing to myself, thinking, of course he wouldn't see you do anything. You're always hiding. You're hidden. And so they find people that are willing to listen and to hear their gripe, and then they all start griping together, and they form a little, a little coup or a little group of rebels. And so... He says, hey, you know, they can't get away with that. That's what Sheba says. They can't get away with that. We're going to do something about it. But in contrast, we see what David does. Look at verse 3. It says, now David came to his house at Jerusalem, and the king took the ten women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and he put them in seclusion and supported them, but he did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. So here, why did David do this? If you think about it, he's he's an older man. He's around 50 years old now. He's had some time to probably think about his life and look back. And he's probably thinking, well, this woman thing that I have, this thing with women, is what got me into this mess. But the other reason is because Absalom, remember a few weeks ago, he had built a tent on top of the house and he had had relations with these women. And so they were defiled. So David says, I'm going to put them away. He had every right just to send them on their way. So he says, I'm going to put them away, but I'm going to continue to support them, which is not a good thing to do, but they're in his house. And David loved these women because we read earlier that David loved women. He had that problem where he just loved women way too much. And so he continues to care for them, but no longer has anything to really do with them. So what use to bring David pleasure now brings him pain. What used to bring David a lot of pleasure, these women, these concubines, This lifestyle that he used to live now brings him a lot of pain as he looks back. But this is part of the growth process. Sometimes we have to suffer pain to grow. David had been given a peek at what life would be like without the kingdom. And sometimes God allows him to and allows us to see things like that. He allows us to go through these periods in our life where it's like, hey, here's what it's like. What are you going to do to fix this? What are you going to do to ensure that this doesn't happen the next time? And so David gets a little peek at what life would be like without the kingdom. You see, when you and I face rejection, we find ourselves finding refuge in God. We tend to stop and think, oh, Lord, I really need more of you right now. And God's like, yeah, that's what I want from you. I don't want to share the chair. I don't want to do one cheek each. It's it's either my chair, my whole rear end sits on that control place, or yours does. But we're not sharing the authority in your life. And so we begin to understand what real satisfaction is when we give God complete control and we find refuge in God because he is called our comforter in those times of need. And so we begin to take inventory. We begin to look at those things we used to see as pleasurable and we begin to realize that, you know what, it's, it actually brought some pain. It actually brought a little bit of pain. So he says, I have to put this away. I have to get rid of it. So David puts the thing that used to bring him pleasure, and it brought about a lot of pain, he puts it away. And so maybe at work you showed up and the boss says, hey, you know what, I know I promised you a raise. I know I promised you a promotion, but today based on the current stock and the situation that we're going through, sales are dropping. You know, we we really thought we were going to see this thing climb and we really wanted to to give all of you a a promotion or a raise, but it's not going to happen. And all of a sudden, there's anger and resentment and backbiting. 
That, that people begin to say, oh, that guy lied. I can't believe he would lie to us like that. And, and a lot of times you'll find out that, well, it really wasn't a lie. I mean, it's like a lot of people probably stopped doing what they needed to do to prevent this thing from happening. They could have worked harder, but yet they didn't do their job. And so because they didn't do their job, certain things fell off the back end. And when those things fall off the back end, there's no money on this end to support what he promised. And then they get angry and they start saying, I'm leaving. And so what if you got home and you told your wife the same thing? Well, you know, this guy, he lied to me. He said, you know, I was going to get a promotion and this, that, and the other thing. And then your wife says, well, you didn't get a raise? No. And she gets mad at you because you told her, well, we were going to have more money and we were going to live a better life. And all of a sudden, I can't believe that guy she's saying. I can't believe he would lie to me. And I, I, now I'm going to divorce him because he should have known what was up. And so it goes back to this like two-edged sword. So one guy over here says, hey, this is what I thought I was going to be able to do. And I know I promised it, but this is what happened. The other guy runs home and says, hey, man, I'm going to get promoted. The wife gets excited thinking life's going to get better. And then all of a sudden, well, it doesn't get better. And now the husband's got to, it's, it's the same thing. It works out the same way. So I know I went to an extreme to make a a point here, but where does it say we have a right to rebel against what God wants? Where anywhere in the Bible does it say we have this right? Where does it say anywhere that we have rights? If we are the servant, do we really have rights and God's our master? I know a lot of us don't like that, but that's what it is. The old is dead. The new is alive. And we said, okay, cool. We're going to do what you say, Lord. And we raise our hand and we say, hey, we're going to have... See, faith isn't what saves us. Faith doesn't save us. It's Jesus Christ that does. It's his redemption. And so a lot of times we say, oh, we're willing to follow you. But just like in the video, we're, we're not willing to give up a whole lot of the seat. And so money sometimes is what brings happiness to people, not God alone. And if that happens, then, then there's a problem with that. Can you praise him when the bank account's in a negative Can you praise him when you're in the unemployment phase of your life? Can you praise him when somebody has just dumped you as a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or maybe you're going through a divorce? Maybe just maybe there's something in the house or in your mind that you think brings you pleasure, but but it really doesn't. It's been defiled in some way. It may even be the house, the job, the boyfriend, or that relationship. I don't know. That's between you and God. But what if David said, okay, so these 10 have been defiled, so I'll go ahead and I'll get me 20 more. I'll just get 20 more and they'll be mine. When we think about that, and I'll have what is mine, I'll have it all back. Man, I'll have it back even double. Isn't this the thing that started all the problems, David, is the love of these women and your eyes and you having to have? When do you sit and ask God to reveal What is this thing that causes the most pain in my life? What causes me to be far from you, Lord? And so sometimes we have to ask those questions. So David comes to this place where he grows up. He grows up and he says, I can't have these women around. And each rejection should, like David, cause us to stop and take a look at our lives. Stop us and say, okay, it's time to take inventory. It's time to take stock. So he sets them aside. So the question is, what do you have to set aside? Well, what is it that you have to set aside today? What is it that you have to get rid of for good, forever? Look at verse 4. It says, And the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah 
But he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find for himself fortified cities and escape us. So Joab's men with the Cherethites and the Peleothites and all the mighty men went out after him. And they went out to Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And when they were at a large stone, which is in Gibeon, Amasa came before them. And now Joab was dressed in battle armor and on it a belt with a sword fastened to his sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Let's stop right there. Don't read any further because you guys are going to cheat if you do. You're going to find out what happened. So as we've read, we've seen that we see people dealing with rejection. We see Sheba rebels. And then we see that David rolls with rejection. But what about Joab? What does he do? How will Joab react to this rejection? Because remember, last week, Joab was commander of the army until David comes back and he says, hey, I'm going to make Amasa, my relative here, uh, the new commander. And so Joab loses position. And so because David and Joab have some blood between them, David says to Amasa, I'm going to make you my commander, the commander of the army. And so David has Amasa assemble the men and gives him three days, but it seems that it's kind of a little suspicious and that there's suspicion raised here because number one, you have to think, where's this guy at? He had three days. He doesn't show up. So maybe somebody's thinking he went AWOL. Maybe he, he went to the other side. So David sends Abishai to stop this uprising of Sheba's rebellion. So David gives these orders to Abishai, and, and he was the commander over, it says, over your Lord's servants, David's personal guard. Joab was the field commander now of these troops, but Abishai was in command over him. And so now still Joab doesn't get position back. And so Joab could probably say, man, I can't believe this guy, David. I mean, I go to him and I tell him, hey, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to react. This is what life needs to be like for you because you're sitting here, you're crying, and I'm trying to save you and, and, and make the people see you as a, as a king and a ruler. You have no right to pout, if you remember that lesson, that leaders can't pout. And so he's like, I can't believe this guy would give away my, my position, uh, take away my job. And if you look at verse 7, Go back, it says, so Joab's men, Joab's men, and are they really Joab's men? Are they really his men? I thought they were David's men. So it says Joab's men. Here, here's the question. Is it my ministry or is it God's ministry? Is it your ministry or is it God's ministry? Is it my church or God's church? Is it your family or is it God's family? Is it your house or your car? I guess the question is, have we come as Christians, because we don't want to be like Joab, we, don't want to, we need to be able to come to a place where we come to a maturity where we realize that all that we have is God's. It all comes from God. And hopefully you have. You can say mine or mine with the understanding of who it belongs to ultimately, but we are in, in charge of our families just to manage them. We're responsible, just like a manager of a store. He's responsible for the inventory in it. He can claim that it's his store, but is it really his if he doesn't own it? Not at all. It belongs to the owner. So have you come to that place where when you lose that position, that house, that car, and not by your own hands, but for some reason it's removed from you, hopefully you understand it wasn't really yours to keep. Maybe God's saying, hey, you know what? I'm closing one door and I'm opening another. Though you've lost this, I've got something way better for you over here. But yet sometimes we miss the way better because 
We're out there throwing that temper tantrum, kicking around like little kids on the floor, screaming and yelling, it's mine, it's mine, and it's really not. See, some see the things of God as their own personal property. They'll say, in one of the craziest videos I've been watching over the week is a pastor from Oklahoma, and he steps down, and there's a guy falling asleep in the second row, and he notices him, and, and, and if you watch it on YouTube, he notices him, and he steps right off the stage, and he goes, hey, man, I got something to say. I'm important, I, you know, and he says stuff like, I'm God's anointed, and goes over there, and he says, come on, man, stay with me. You know I love you, right? You know I love you, and I'm like, okay, not so bad, and then he starts to walk, and he looks, and he sees this other guy, and he goes, man, and you, you're the most worthless church member I have, and calls this guy out on a Sunday, sir, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, walks right over, and he goes, and you want me to marry you? And you want to marry him? You want me to marry you to him? And starts freaking out on these people. And then he goes over and he stands up and he starts yelling at the camera. I mean, he just goes on a tirade. And you're just like, man, that poor church. And the news, there's, there's other clips where the news have interviewed people and they say the guy that he called out, and he actually hugged the guy. He said it wasn't, that was useless. It wasn't worth 15 cents is what he said. And he hugs that guy, and that guy hugged him back. And I think the only reason that other dude hugged him back was just because it was an awkward moment. And you're like, okay, I can hug you or I can knock your head off. And so, you know, and then you see some of the comments, and the people are like, oh, yeah, people need to stand up. And it's like, oh, no, you don't call that guy out publicly like that. And you're the most useless member I have. That was the thing that I keyed in on. Like, he's not your member. He's not, he doesn't belong to you. I remember I chimed in on a little comment that some friends of mine were we were talking about in a text message, and I said, "Man, it, it doesn't that, those people don't they're in his flock, but they're God's people, and that man didn't treat them as such." So we have to think, and we have to come to that place where we lose that position of "This is mine; it belongs to me," to where we understand that it's really God's, and we're just there to manage it. See, again, some will see the things of God as their own personal property. They're going to say. I'm your shepherd, and you're my sheep, and I'll never leave you. And they're going to make a covenant. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not a good thing to do. I, every day, every week, have to really pray through that. This is not my church. Lord, this is not my church and the decisions I make. And sometimes people ask me questions, like big questions. Like, I've got to make that decision standing there right now. And I'm like, I just look at them. I'm like, okay. They're like, well, what do you think? I don't know yet. I got to pray about it. Well, bro, we need to make a decision right now. Well, no, we really don't. Well, it's going to be too late. Then we're not supposed to do it or have it or whatever. And it's not my church. It's not really ultimately my decision. It's God's decision. We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new additions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. 
We are a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.